Hi, it's Darren Steele. And before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, are you ready to make a positive impact, to make a difference in 2022? Well, if you don't quite know the answer, if it wasn't an immediate yes, and if you would like it to be, well, I invite you to a counterintuitive approach to the usual end-of-year review in this live and interactive coaching webinar that I'm holding on Wednesday, December 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we're going to look at the foundations of self-mastery that ground what you stand for, which are your core emotions, your values, and your purpose. And when you know these foundations, that's the guide, that's the roadmap in your direction to making an impact, a difference, and accomplishing your goals, and enjoying more happiness, contentment, and freedom next year and beyond. Think of it this way. If you are not able to manage your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your behaviors, well, you'll keep getting results you don't want, or you'll just keep feeling frustrated, or like there's always a roadblock that you can't surmount or can't get around. But what when you know what you stand for, and what really matters to you, and what's important, well, that's how you actually improve the quality of your life and the lives you love and care about. So it's kind of a like what goes around comes around. The better you feel about yourself, the better you feel about what you've accomplished in the past year, the more you have clarity about what's most important to you. Things like establishing goals is so much easier and you'll have the motivation because you'll be connected with why it matters and why it feels so important to you. So Finally, just join me for this transformational webinar and discover the steps to being the meaningful change that you want to see in the world in 2022 and beyond. Again, Wednesday, December 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The link is in the show notes or in the blog post. There's no cost. I look forward to seeing you there. All right, let's get into today's show. Hi, I'm Darren Steele, and this is Think Queerly, a humane thought leadership, personal evolution coaching podcast for changemakers and queer creatives to become more skillful in their lives and enjoy more happiness, freedom, and contentment. So today on the show, I have, if you're watching, uh, otherwise you're going to find out very soon if you're listening, I have John Carl Lewis. Welcome to the Think Queerly show, John. Hello. So... John Carl Lewis, I featured him way back on episode 180, and it was called Sex and the Gay Christian. Um, John and I have done some coaching work together, and I haven't spoken to him for about four months now. Um, I invited him on the show because what I'm going to be doing going forward is doing live coaching with some of my clients uh, so that you as the listeners, the viewer can actually get an experience of what is deep transformational personal evolution coaching like, especially, you know, my style and how do we go from that initial question uh, to, you know, the end of the session and, and just what happens. Briefly, a background on John Carl. John Carl Lewis is a spiritual director and writer interested in the intersections and overlaps between the spiritual life and the sexual and relational practices of queer Christian men. He's a three-time seminary dropout 
Oh yeah. Let's celebrate that. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I just loved when you, when you sent me that he's a three-time seminary dropout and a graduate of Princeton university. He's currently working on a book proposal for Westminster John Knox press for queer Christians seeking to integrate their sexuality and spirituality. And you can find out more about John Carl and sex and the gay Christian at his website, sexgaychristian.com. And I will of course have that in the show notes with his other social media information as well. So again, John, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you're looking really well. And as I said, when I first saw you, you look nice and cozy. Oh, it was, I've been longing to wear this sweater for months. <laughs> well, that is one way to embrace the colder weather. It is on the date of this recording. It's actually the uh, the 2nd of December and I'm in Toronto. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Trenton, New Jersey, and we have unseasonably warm weather, although the skies are looking gray and wintry. So. Right. Well, I'm sure you're going to get some awful winter very soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs> well, we'll we'll ease on into um, today's session. There's no agenda. Um, as I've suggested to John Carl, we're making it easy on both of ourselves in the sense that um, if something is just too deep or too personal, we might not go there just because this is going to be broadcast uh, for the public consumption. Um, but let me just start with, since it's been about four months or so we last spoke, and I know there's been a lot of progress on your part with a number of different things that you've been doing in your business. Um, where do you find yourself now? What's, what's on your mind that is perhaps like the biggest thing you're struggling with or that you're very unsure about? Okay, um, great. I I took some time off to focus on my spiritual direction practice. Um, I'm also doing some teaching of, of new spiritual directors. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the past month, things have come together nicely. A publisher... Uh, an editor at Westminster John Knox Press asked me where my proposal was, uh, and uh, that kicked me in the butt. And then um, yesterday I presented on um, how to address themes of sexuality in the spiritual direction um, line of work. Uh, so uh, I'm very fired up. Yesterday, I heard a voice come out of me that I hadn't heard in a long time. Um, and I would really like to do more with that teacher voice. Um, and uh, I have a couple of projects I'd like to do surrounding that. But, um, but I think... Um, my focus now is nurturing this voice, both in my writing and in my speaking, uh, and uh, gathering community around my ideas. So when you say I heard this voice come out of me, uh, let's go into that a little bit. Um, describe it more so for me. 
Well, it felt very natural. Um, I, of course, like I guess many speakers, um, was up a lot at night wondering if this was the thing to say to this group. Um, and it turns out it went very well. And part of what I think went well was connecting with my inner authority with mm -hmm. my inner teacher. Um, before we started, uh, I realized I know what I'm talking about. I've researched this for years uh, and I'm just sharing a little bit of what I've learned. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I got my ego out of the way, um, then out came this uh, authoritative voice. So, uh, the word itself sounds kind of awkward in its placement, authoritative voice, a voice of authority in the sense, I know what you mean, right? I'm sure you mean in the sense of a voice of wisdom, a voice of knowledge, as opposed, as opposed to uh, an overpowering uh, voice, a uh, commandeering voice. Yes, all those good things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so where is this voice showing up or what was the work were you doing you were doing was it working with a client speaking in a group or was it something to do with your writing or all of the above uh a little bit of all of the above um the uh the group that i addressed is the group that i graduated from as a okay. spiritual director in training uh, and I had done some writing around these issues for my final paper, uh, and the, the leaders of the next cohort remembered that uh, and asked if I would be willing to present yesterday okay. uh, on themes of sexuality in spiritual direction. Okay. And, of course, I jumped at the chance. Okay. Um, and given the given the fact that I had a deadline and a clear subject, mm -hmm. I found myself writing very easily and freely in a way that I hadn't in a long time uh, mm -hmm. when I didn't have anything but a self-imposed deadline. Uh, and, uh, and I also uh, was able to... I don't want to say stay on a surface level, but but just hit the high points. Uh, I managed to not get bogged down in the weeds. Right. Uh, I would mention a topic, uh, give another sentence or two, and then move on to the next topic. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I usually labor over turning each topic into several paragraphs and getting references and all of the stuff that can distract and not actually flowing in my writing. Now that's something specifically you and I dealt with um, in some of our sessions in the past, this um, we tried to work through making uh, one of the things you were thinking of doing at the time was uh, shorter videos. Um, and we took some ideas and we actually broke 
these ideas down into like smaller and smaller parts. So you maybe had one core idea, but maybe you had four or five or six videos. Um, what do you think has changed in you then that sort of helped you present with this greater efficiency in the sense of knowing the material, uh, but not going down the rabbit hole with too much detail? Hmm. I think um, it was all about being invited to step into a role and stepping into that role as opposed to being just my naked self talking about stuff that's important to me. Mm. I think that extra filtering that extra masking uh, helped me deliver um, and helped me work in a more efficient way. Uh, I was able to think, what do people need? Uh, Not so much, how do I get all of this out that I want to say? (laughs) Right. That's um, a really good distinction. How do I get everything out of me that I want to say, which is, you know, intellectual cognitive vomit? Um, it, it Really, there's no other way to say it because um, there will be no structure to that kind of a presentation. It'll just be like, usually that comes from a place of extreme nervousness um, or it's coming from a place of, uh, wanting to seem so smart because of all of these facts and details and information that I possess. And I'm going to try and cram it in. And so that's neither good nor bad. And that's not judgmental, but it sort of lacks the, fin- the finesse and the practice of a really good speaker and a really good presenter, which is a skill that anyone can learn. Right. Uh, but <laughs> some of us come to learn that skill really late. Hmm. Now, it's interesting that you've, there's been a couple of, of, of good, um, um, what you've presented here. There's a couple of things that really connect. And there's a couple of things that go back to what I remember um, we were working on together in the past. Um, you were given a deadline, you were given a talk topic and bam, you did the work. I know yes. one of the things you struggled with in the past was whenever you had an idea and you had a lot of passion and you seemed to have a lot of emotional alignment, it didn't get done. No. <laughs> so those are two extremes. What are your thoughts on finding that place in the middle? Well, I feel that I have done a lot of the exciting discovery piece. Um, Now I'm at a different stage. I I have declared my book research done. Not that there aren't more things I want to read and uh, incorporate. Mm -hmm. But um, now... I feel like I've been through a period of sort of chewing and now I'm ready to swallow and digest. Okay. Um, And that feels very different than when I had um, one book really strike me as 
as exciting one week. And then the next week I'd have another exciting book. And then the third week, and it was just sort of taking my head back and forth. Now that I'm not doing as much reading, mm. I'm getting a greater sense of, of um, my own voice. Right. Uh, as opposed to reacting to what other people are saying. Again, that's, um, Reacting to what other people say is a nice way of framing it because it doesn't necessarily mean uh, reacting in a negative way. It just means that we are not acting of our own accord. We are responding or in if it's problematic, then reacting to somebody else's information. Um, and as a creator, as a queer creator, if you're going to create, well, of course, we learn things, we ingest this information, and then we digest it. And we contemplate and we ruminate. And what then sets us apart and makes us unique is what we bring through our own perspective that is different. Um, it's not necessarily going to be something so brand new. Probably everything that's new has been pretty much discovered on, on some level, right? Yes. Um, but this was a period, I think, that you were challenged by uh, this, this process of, of learning, learning, learning. Um, was it just having this deadline and topic that kind of gave you that fork in the road? Or did something else happen that sort of moved you out of head down in books to, ah, I actually am an authority on this topic? Um, something shifted, definitely. And uh, I am not entirely sure when it happened. Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure entirely <clears throat> what uh, precipitated it. Um, I, I just know there's been a shift. Um, and uh, I... I I don't know how to explain it past that. Maybe we can investigate that. Okay. There is something else you said that I wanted to come back to besides, um, I make a few notes here and there so that I don't um, forget things here. Um, and I don't know if that would be important to talk about before we get into the shift. Um, you said being invited to step into a role versus being your naked self and talking about what's important to me. And to expand on that, being invited to step into a role is, is an invitation, but it's also external. So it's not necessarily self-motivating. And again, when I say these things, this isn't a judgment. It's just an observation. But I say isn't self-motivating um, because this can be kind of a clue, maybe this connects with the shift, to what kind of work do you want to do? Like, do you want to be presenting? Do you want to um, be working with organizations and such that say, hey, here's the, a topic we need covered? Um, and it goes back to me asking you, how do you go from the extremes um, so that you are able to also do work on your own and, and kind of 
an adjacent example, not quite adjacent, but the fact that you've done your research for your book and now you have to write your book. Uh, this goes back to there were a few times your publisher or editor asked, where's the proposal? So I, I've thrown a lot of things at you there, but I don't know if that allows you to start walking down the path to how you got to that shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm thinking about what you, you said about being somewhere in the middle. Um, I did have the opportunity to not step forward when um, my uh, supervisors were asking for people to present. Mm. Um, so there was a little bit of more agency on my part than, than as I portrayed it. Um, but I think that sort of speaks to that middle place we're talking about, um, where I now feel ready to step into roles that I want, uh, and am now more actively looking for more of those roles. Uh, so that I can say yes. What what were you afraid of, or what was the fear around sort of committing to the the self agency, the agency of doing the work on your own, unprompted by someone else? Um, there were two fears. One was the subject matter. Mm. Um, having, as a gay man, been condemned for even being a sexual being, yeah. um, I was struggling with my internal demons that were telling me, you can't talk about this. This is shameful. Mm -hmm you will bring shame upon yourself and your family. Um, so that had to be dealt with. The other voice that had to be dealt with was, had something to do with dropping out of seminary three times. Mm. Um, the voice that was saying, you're not really an academic. You're not really a researcher. Um, you need to rely on the wisdom of other people to say what you need to say. Mm -hmm. uh, so you better have all those ducks in a row before you say anything. And, you know, I came to that middle place where um, ye yesterday's talk included a very famous quote uh, known to everybody in the, in the uh, audience but otherwise, I didn't quote anybody. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was my reflection on what I had learned, and so that was a big step past uh, this feeling of um, academic stricture that sometimes happens where you don't say anything because you're so busy saying what other people said to make it look like you know what you're saying. Right. Was there a 
dominant feeling like a hedonic tone like a, an an overall emotion or a feeling when you were doing that presentation um and you weren't relying on external sources or experts other than your own uh knowledge and understanding of the material mm. yeah i want to say joy okay um, I also want to say that it, uh, it it reminded me of some of what uh, Csikszentmihalyi yeah. uh, talks about when he talks about flow, just sort of riding a wave of being sort of on the edge of yourself, but but also crafting what you're doing so it's not just you know, intellectual vomit. <laughs> How aware were you of your ego when you were presenting? I don't know if you even were thinking about it at the time. Uh, there were a couple of points where I had to set it aside and say, look, um, you've done the work. The work was the writing. Present the writing. Present the work. Mm -hmm. So there were a couple of times where, um, where I had to say, paradoxically, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about your product. Mm -hmm. uh, you've produced a product that you are um, comfortable with, now presented. That's a really good distinction um, for a couple of reasons. It's not about me. It's about the product. <clears throat> And it's interesting to frame it that way. You know, here's, here's my work. Here's my thesis. Here's my presentation. When I say it that way, it's the identification with self and the ego. And it could be taken as, um, you know, polarizing in the extreme as in, this is mine. You can't take this. You can't quote this. You, um, But it's not about you in the sense of, the understanding and the awareness that you are comfortable and confident in the work you have done to get to that point, to feel that what you are presenting will stand on its own and doesn't need an ego attachment. That if someone were to critique it, you would then hopefully be in a space where you could say, well, that's actually interesting. I hadn't thought about mm -hmm. it or, well, I hear what you're saying, but maybe I didn't explain this well enough. Let's, and on you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like the fact that you felt joy. Um, you know, standing up in front of any group of people, you know, I mean, I know I would just feel the normal jitters. Um, and the last time you did something like this, what was the dominant emotion? The last time I did something like this, the dominant emotion was um, almost a, I'm going to prove myself. Okay. And what was the reception of, of the audience or whoever was, whoever you were giving that information to? Um, it was, 
it was polite, but it was disconnected. I didn't really make a connection with the audience. And what about this time where you felt joy? Uh, this time there was a lot of connection. Okay. Yeah. I could feel the connection mm -hmm. uh, through the Zoom screen, strangely enough. <clears throat> and how did that show up after you spoke? Was there engagement? Well, there was a lot of silence, which I didn't want to hear. Mm. Uh, but um, then the people in the in the room went into small groups, and after they came out, they had um, had very interesting conversations that they shared. Okay, good. And that mm. felt good. Good. So having had this experience and contrasting it with um, previous ones, um, what, how do you think you would prepare yourself just in the largest sense and, and whatever aspect of the preparation or the studying or the thinking or the day of, um, what steps would you take? What triggers might you be aware of? Um, that would give you this kind of grounding where, where you feel authentic, where you feel that you are, that you have agency over your material and there's no need to prove yourself per se. Hmm. Basically, what can I do to replicate that, that peak experience? Yeah. Um, I think um, doing the work and having all the nerves ahead of time mm -hmm. is a good thing. I think um, knowing that I'm only going to be giving a few points of what interests me is a good thing. Right. Um, I think knowing that it's not necessarily my ego, but my work that is going to be presented that will help me mm. um, detach and enjoy the experience, strangely enough. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So in a sense, you get to do the work. Um, and then once the product is complete, you can sort of step to the side of it and figure out, well, how am I going to be a good presenter? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, when you go back to what you said there, it's not about me, it's about the product. That might be a really useful um, distinction to, to carry forward in your thinking. You've done the work. Well, then, you know, here's this piece of paper. Here's this, you know, essay I've written or, you know, speech I've written how many ever characters across the page so I can easily glance down at it and not get lost. But then that work is done. There's nothing more to think about it per se. It's about how do they, how do I show up? How do I speak well? How do I communicate? How do I do good eye contact? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now taking that idea, it's not about me. It's about the product. How do you apply some of that to the book you're working on? 
Well, that is an interesting uh, question because the book that um, the editor is looking for is actually um, a little outside of my comfort zone. Um, I originally wanted to write a book for queer men. Um, and the editor said, well, I think I would like to see this book addressed to the entire queer community, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, completely freaked me out when she said it. Luckily that was six months ago. So now as I, as I got closer to where I am now, I realized, well, what I'm dealing with are principles. They're human principles. They're not specifically gendered. Um, it doesn't mean I can't do work with men in a professional way. Right. Um, but, but that has given me a little bit of detachment from the writing um, whereas before I wanted to prove myself to guys that I was <laughs> relevant and, uh, knowledgeable and for some reason expanding it to the queer community, I'm sort of like, okay, I'm just one voice and I can do my take and there will be other voices uh and they'll give their take and uh, again it's not all about me how do you think that switch between addressing just gay men and addressing the queer community more broadly has made the work feel safer Well, um, I think that before the work felt like one big grinder ad. Okay. <laughs> it's like, here I am. This and, is and we, and we don't mean down on your knees as a position. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a like me, like me, like me, please click on me sort of deal. Um, sort of like I I kept thinking of myself as a wannabe insta-gay. Yeah. Uh, and um, for some reason, opening it up to women and femmes and non-binary, um, <clears throat> it doesn't matter how sexy I am for them. All they need is the principles. <laughs> That's interesting. So somehow there was physicality embodied in your idea around doing this book um, for gay men, something to do with appearance, something to do with worth. Were there more topics or subject area specific to gay male sexuality that perhaps were the root of this? Um, yes. Okay. 
And now that now that you mentioned that, I'm realizing when a switch happened. Okay. Um, if you don't mind, I, yeah. I my husband and I, my <laughs> husband and I, what's that? But that's where we were going. <laughs> my husband and I went on a vacation to Frog Meadow in Vermont, which mm-hmm. is a lovely men's only. Um, gay oasis yeah and while there i had set all of my work aside i was Mm -hmm. not working on sex and the gay christian at all Mm -hmm. i was just sort of enjoying myself um i was in a couple different ways affirmed in my sexuality i was affirmed in my physicality in my appearance in the way I hadn't expected to be. And then on top of it, my ideas were affirmed mm-hmm. about, about sexuality and um, the need for a more mindful look at sexual practice and relationships. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think it was um, that week that really started to turn things around because I came back from it thinking, wow, I'm not the ugliest thing alive and people like my ideas and let's go. (laughs) Interesting. How long have you been struggling with or challenged by um, your perception of your appearance? Oh, it's uh, been constant since uh, college. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, it's a, it's a deep wound that has to do with, um, being the youngest person in my classes, mm-hmm. uh, race, um, not being able to have a normal puberty mm-hmm. and feel those things out mm-hmm. 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 Um, as if I were straight. I like mean, you mean um, like uh, coming going through puberty and adolescence, but also having the, the freedom withheld of like dating and that sort of thing. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so, that's definitely a, like a common experience to interject there. I mean, that would be the one thing I realized from my uh, teenage years is the uh, one or two women that I got close to for under two weeks and never had sex with was so awkward, but then I didn't actually start, having sex with men or dating men uh dating didn't start until like 20 or 21 so i missed that socialization and i guess that's the same for you yeah yeah it is and uh again it was in my early 20s that i started to um have sex uh with the aspiration of dating (laughs) right right so 
something happened in Frog Meadow. <laughs> something Lots happened, in, happened Frog in, Meadow. in Frog Meadow. <laughs> but it seems to have been what got you over the hump. No pun intended. Yes, it did. Well, yes, that's I, good. I believe it well, did. it's better late than never. One of the things about getting older um, is, and it doesn't always mean it will happen, is uh, at least as men, I mean, and there's changes in men just as there are changes as in, in you know, um, uh, women. And I know I'm just using a simple binary here. Um, at least I've noticed in myself at 56, it's like, you know, the sex drive slows down. I still have a very powerful intellectual sex drive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Your mind does not know. <laughs> but, you know, the body might either be a little bit slower or the body might say, oh, yeah, it doesn't have to happen today kind of thing. Um, but it's an, it's an interesting um, awareness. It just reminds me of... Um, Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, I think that was written in the 30s or something. So a very different time, very different generation. He was writing a book based on his mentorship with, I think, Andrew Carnegie. Hmm. Um, and no, it's not in Think and Grow Rich. It's in one of his other books. Um, and this other book gets very metaphysical. Um, I'll have to try and find it. I have it. I, I have to just find the title. But what he talks about, and of course, this is a very patriarchal society, but he talks about how the younger man can too easily get distracted by his libido. And that if you want to make wealth, and like I said, of course, this is a very capitalist text, right? Uh, if you want to make wealth, you have to learn how to manage your libido. Um, so whether you're masturbating or having sex, you know, that's going to take away your energy from like yes. building your stock portfolio or creating a company, um, which, you know, it's all about a happy medium. But I think of that when I think of how um, in some ways life has slowed down for me in the sense that I have greater contentment on a number of levels in my life that allow me to look at things without uh, either expectation or urgency. Meaning I'm not putting myself so into the future where I'm trying to like pull myself there. Instead, I'm being more in the moment and being pulled towards where I'm going. Hmm. And I'm less distracted. Yes. So I know that was like a bit of my own story there, but I wonder how that sort of self-reflection, um, how you mirror that back in your own experience. Well, and it's interesting. Um, I feel like I'm entering a generative period of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I'm entering a period of my life where I'm giving back and I'm not trying to acquire so much. Hmm. Um, and I think some of the mentality that, that hold, held me back yeah. was being in an acquisitions mode. What am I going to get for this? You right. know, how, mm -hmm. how, how do I figure out how to get fame and get <clears throat> eyeballs and get influence? Um, 
And as that has gone away, it's more of, I've got stuff to offer. Some people want it, some people don't. <laughs> yeah. This is a big distinction between influence and impact. You know, influence, I think of the most uh, topical social media influencer. What does that mean? Let's say it's a, a fitness guru or somebody who does baking or uh, somebody who's an interior decorator. You know, they're giving you those quick tips, whether it be on Instagram or TikTok. It's like 15 seconds. It's 30 seconds. They're just trying to influence usually your buying behavior or yeah. your desire for a certain color or a certain kind of fashion or a certain kind of body. Um, and they're literally trying to persuade and at the extreme manipulate and create desire and to, you know, foster that further dopamine hit, which we suffer so much from with social media and the constant pinging of you've got a new like, you've got a new comment versus impact, which is when you lead yourself first and you may get followers who follow you by example but you aren't in front of them. Mm. You aren't trying to tell them what to do. You are simply, and I go back to what you said here. I think this is great. It's not about me. It's about the product because you could have impact just selling a product, maybe a car, but if there's something, maybe, you know, who knows? I won't just go off the top of my head, but it all depends on how you do it. And so that sounds like that's been a really good distinction for you. Yeah, I think it has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it was coming um, to me. I think the work we did earlier was helping me get there. Uh, giving me some tools. Um, and then uh, when I had a chance to sort of reflect and uh, on the stuff I learned, I, right. it started coming together right. in a powerful way. What were you actively pursuing that you have since like quit? I've quit trying to be, trying so hard to be relevant and sexy and titillating. Okay. You know, I I kept saying, uh, I kept worrying actually about, you know, I really don't look like an Instagram influencer. Who's going to pay attention to me? Well, here's an interesting question. How many Instagram influencers are there who are talking about sexuality and spirituality? And maybe I'll qualify that even more in a meaningful, thoughtful, and intellectual slash academic sort of way, which is what I think you're aiming for. Right. Um, I, I mean, I can count them on one hand Yeah. Uh, and, and they're not doing exactly what I'm doing. So. Yeah. yeah. Which begs a question about Instagram 
as a medium mm. and, and whether or not it's even, it's not to say that you can't or shouldn't use medium to present your work. All of these social media platforms have a different format, a different style. They do change and evolve over time. But given this tension that you've described, the question for me that comes to mind is like, is Medium, sorry, no, is Medium, <laughs> Medium is another platform where I publish a lot, is Instagram your an appropriate medium for your message and the way in which you want to share it? And if not, what do you think is a better medium? Um, I don't know. I, I think that Instagram is good for pointing people to other media where I might do better and right. engage more. Exactly. Um, Medium, uh, the publication company has been a good place for me to um, launch my thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've ignored it for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that is an <laughs> option there. Um, but there's also a video for you. When we started work together, that was the big, that was what you kept saying was the number one vehicle. Um, so I don't know if you're going to get to absolute clarity about this here today, um, but there's there was a tension with you between writing and presenting. And I know there's a different, there's, there's a good reason for using both because you can present in different ways. But here you are with, um, you know, a, a book deal. So you're writing. Well, I wish, I hope it's a book deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> now I, I have this tension for myself, but it's, um, it's no longer a tension um, where podcasting and writing for me go hand in hand. Podcasting allows me when I've written an article to almost use my article as the abridged version, which doesn't mean I've taken a lot out. It just means that as I'm speaking it, I'm having more of a conversation about what it is. And I might say more. And sometimes there's more freedom um, in a podcast. Uh, and I, I like the way the two go together for me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it took me some time to sort of recognize that there are some things that I really need to write because it requires such thought to like, to create the argument and to, to lay it all out. And, you know, I've got a couple of pieces that I'm not going to turn into podcasts because they're too, um, maybe they're too didactic because the, the topic and the way I was presenting it called for it. And that won't translate into the medium of speaking in the podcast. Right. So at this intersection, um, maybe with this question, and this could be sort of like the way to like wrap up this session here today is like a bigger invitation to consider and think about um, where you are with your primary media. Is it, is it writing? Um, is it video? And then what is the platform? Um, and then what are your next couple of presentations or ideas and how might you experiment with those going forward? Hmm. Any sort of initial thoughts on that? Um, well, the initial thought is that 
I think the order for me is writing as if I'm going to present mm-hmm. because that keeps me from going down intellectual rabbit holes. Uh, and then presenting as a separate step. So one of the things I was trying to do was go, was, was write video script directly. Mm -hmm. And for some reason it wasn't working. Um, Why do you think that is? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that was about. Um, The clues are in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The, um, well, I do know that um, one thing that that was frustrating me about video was I didn't know how I was going to get all of my references in. Right, right. Uh, so it will be interesting to return to video <laughs> with my own ideas where I'm not so tied to a written-out script and I'm just talking about what I'm writing about. Well, you just said, um, and then like just encapsulating from my notes, I'm writing as if I'm going to present. Keeps me from going down intellectual rabbit holes. Well, what if you wrote an article and had all your references? So there's an article. And then you scripted that article. Mm. And then you simply say like, with this show and if you want to find out more about john carl it will be in the show notes yes so so the the video is actually it's sort of the opposite of what you're doing the yeah the my article will be a deeper dive on the topics i bring up in the video exactly yeah i think that that sounds very comfortable you know and whether it be one topic from an article, whether it be a series of videos based on one article, whether it be that you then expand, let's say you have four core ideas in one of these articles. Maybe you expand each one a little bit more so that it, it, it's a, a self-contained video. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can simply say, you know, for more on this topic and and references, see this article and this article or something to that effect, which takes the pressure off. Yeah, it takes the pressure off a medium to be more than it wants to be. Right. How does that feel? That feels good. That Mm -hmm. feels, I feel eager to engage with the work. Mm -hmm. How, maybe another question or so here. How will you know when a piece of writing will speak to or transfer well to the to the medium of video? What what will you look for? Hmm. Well, that's a good question for me to keep before me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Just off the cuff now, um, if I can 
talk about it in a conversational way, then it's ready for video. Okay. Thanks. If the idea is digested and assimilated enough that I can just talk about it yeah. from bullet points and not have it scripted, then, right. then it's ready for video. Right. And often, I think, uh, you know, if we can tell a story, whether it be an experience of our own or an experience um, with someone who we're working with in our in our particular work, um, that can then take sort of the more academic uh, and not only make it make it anecdotal, but just give it more air, give it more life. Yes, absolutely. And um this is beyond the scope of this session, but um, after my proposal deadline, which is January, uh, mm-hmm. mid-January, um, I intended to go on a story gathering binge mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to launch a, I'm going to launch a small group. Mm-hmm. Um, for people to come together and talk about these issues. Okay. Um, with the caveat that I would like to use stories, um, you know, without names and identifying characteristics and all of that sort of thing. Okay. Good. Yeah. And I'm and I'm eager about getting to that work, but I'm also telling myself that. Um, December is for writing my proposal and my sample chapters. Mm-hmm. And uh, after my deadline, I can do other things. Yeah. Wise. Um, I just uh, cited a quote uh, in my newsletter that I'll be sending out this weekend. Um, and it was one of these wonderful, succinct pieces of wisdom, a single paragraph. Um, and it was from a, a coach I study talking about how do you coach, you know, overwhelmed business leaders. And, you know, the message can apply to anyone. You don't have to be a business leader, but often people in business are exceptionally hardworking. They're triple type A and, you know, they, it's, they live, breathe and eat their work. Um, but this aspect of in, when coaching that kind of an individual, and I do this with my clients is how do you learn to relax to be still and to focus. And we live in this world where, you know, oh my gosh, well, if I'm going to stop for a moment, I better pick up my phone and check my email. It's like, I daren't go to the bathroom without like doing something at the same time. I recognize in myself how, Mm -hmm. geez, just 10 years ago, I was able to sit down and do nothing. And it seems to be something I've forgotten. And it just reminded me, and you've just said it here, um, that sometimes in our work as creators, you know, we need to give ourselves, whether it's an extra long weekend or whether it's one week a month or whether we take a month long sabbatical or whatever the case may be, you need the generation. Rather, I should say you need the regeneration time, the recovery time, because the regeneration leads to generation. Yes. And it is just as important to have the productive time off of doing nothing. Mm. 
Yeah. 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 And I've gotten better about that too. Um, when my brain is not there, I'm, I'm not pushing it these days. Yeah. Good. Because you feel otherwise if you're pushing. Well, it's not, it's, it's not actually doing anything if I push and my brain is not engaged. Yeah. But what would you be feeling if you're pushing and your brain isn't engaged? Uh, frustration and exhaustion. Yep. Yeah. Anxiety overwhelm is what I'll get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's like, hold on here. <laughs> Take a break. Take a break. Oh. So what was most helpful? What was uh, most insightful for you here, John Carl? Well, I think it was uh, very useful uh, identifying uh, the switches that have happened yeah. and talking about the before and after yeah. and how that happened. Um, it was also useful to uh, think about how I felt in those peak moments and how to recapture that feeling. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not the way I usually think, but Mm -hmm. I think that's something that um, I need to incorporate into my, you know, tool chest. Okay. Well, just from a neuroscience perspective, um, you know, how we feel is almost everything. Because if we are feeling, you know, empowering emotions, generally speaking, we're going to be more cognitively able. We're going to be more in our prefrontal cortex, our our logical thinking brain, like what we're doing, having just a calm, contented, non-contentious conversation. And then when you go into unwanted emotions, that tends to take us more either into some sort of fight, flight, amygdala or some sort of need, craving, um, uh, loneliness, or whatever in the, the, um, sorry, that just escaping me for a moment, but the, the animal sort of part of the brain where we're looking for acceptance, connection, and care. And if the needs of the brains, those brains are not being met, so to speak, um, it's very hard for us to think logically or critically um, it's also not possible to even experience flow state. Mm-hmm. So chasing flow state is not really advisable, but <laughs> optimizing for the conditions so that it might happen. That's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah. It's like going on a 10 day meditation retreat and thinking that you'll experience Nirvana. If you're always trying to find that point, you'll never get there. Right. And that happened to me. I was on a 10 day Vipassana retreat like 15 years ago, and I did experience what you would call Nirvana. And as soon as I realized I was experiencing it, ah. I was right out. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like profound. Mm. So, <laughs> any final thoughts, John? John Carl? No, uh, I, I can't think of any. Uh, I am um, grateful for this time. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, and 
And um, I find these times are always very clarifying and motivational for me also. Wonderful. I feel like I want to get to work. I wish it were nine o'clock yes. in the morning <laughs> because I could do so much with the day exactly. after this. But um, I'll let it be evening. I'll wind down and uh, save some for tomorrow. Good. Well, it's been really good to catch up with you and to witness um having worked with you for a while, witnessing now a much greater level of ease. And I want to say a greater focus. It's not so much that you lacked focus, but I mean in the sense of when you're when you were sharing um the stories of your life in the last while and decisions you've made or the way in which you were communicating um what you felt and such more of a straight line mm. a, a clearer directionality uh in what you were presenting to me versus um some of the experiences from previous sessions so i think that's quite it's worth acknowledging um to recognize that in yourself mm. thank you yeah All right john John Carl, it's so easy to say just say John, but I know you prefer John Carl. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time and being open and trusting and just going with the process. Yeah, my pleasure entirely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs>